You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air and I appear with Forever. Typical Lydia. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about... It's a first for us. It's a sequel. It's a sequel? We have never talked about a sequel. 2007's... Wrong Turn to Dead End. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a verbal colon in there. Before we do that, we have... Uh, well, I, I don't have anything to say, but you do. About what? Well, you see, what some of our listeners might not realize is that you were a doer of things. And in her spare time, Lydia is an author. She is working on a new project. Yeah, I'm finishing up Night Face 2. It's uh... another sequel. Yeah. So it's all about the sequels today. And I'm a big sequel fan, actually, for mm-hmm. some dumb reason. And I've never watched this Electric Boogaloo um, documentary thing. Or that, li- that everyone just insists on... Every time anyone says anything to, they're like, electric boogaloo. Help. And I want to shoot them right in the fucking face every time. Oh and I, because it's, it's stupid. It's this, oh my God. It's, it's a stupid st- sentiment and it's, and it's based on the stupidest thing ever. And who cares? Who cares? But I don't know. This is why people like films like Caddyshack. It's the people that like films like Caddyshack that are going to say electric boogaloo every time you say something too. Yeah. So yeah. Night face, electric boogaloo. Well now, um, why night face two and not like a subtitle like the return of the revenge i actually revelation kick that around yeah bloodlines <laughs> bloodlines <laughs> yeah i'll watch anything named bloodlines just as a, an aside i certainly will okay. like wrong turn bloodlines oh yeah yeah hellraiser the bloodlines. hellraiser bloodlines yeah, yeah. Um, night face bloodlines that'll be the third one <laughs> just to be an asshole like that no it's uh the working title's Bloodface, but i cool. figured night face 2 would work a lot better but yeah, let, let people know that they're jumping in. Yeah, exactly. To, uh, to a sequel. One of the things that I've always been curious about your writing process, do you write it linear? Like, do you, do you just do scenes? Or do you, for, uh, what I'm saying, the things that you're really looking forward to writing, the, the, the scenes that you think about, you're like, oh, I can't wait till I get to that scene. Do you just write that scene or and, and then fill in sort of the other stuff later? Or do you write it from start to finish? It depends on the thing. And I think like a lot of films are, are like that. Let's say like um, you've got these set pieces in mind for a horror film and you're like, I want this person to explode. I want this person to die like that. I want this person that. And there has to be a scene where the killer does this. Mm-hmm. And then you just wrap a story around it in that really shitty ad lib style of making a horror film. That's how I wrote um, Night Face 1. Yeah, a mm-hmm. lot. There was particular characters and things that they did that were pre-written, and then I went back and just wove it all together. And I don't like that process necessarily. Okay. I just really don't. There's a couple short stories that I haven't published that are written or half-written that are in the same sort of idea. But it is like it is building off of this one scene, right? Mm-hmm. For the shorts, anyway. But with my favorite and most of my published short stories, they're written linearly. And a lot of them come out unexpectedly, too. Um, A lot of times I start with a character that I sort of have an idea, a loose idea of the end game, and then I just sit down and write. Because I write longhand for the most part as well. So I just sit down and write it start to finish, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Night Face 1 
was this piecemeal thing mm-hmm. and that I duct taped together terribly. And the second one, though, I decided... <laughs> I'm sorry. You're such an artist. You're just, you're, you're just like, so I did this bus. Terrible. Fucking sucked. Boo. No, okay. I didn't mean to cut you off. It was just funny. Thank that... you for agreeing with me. Wow. No, no. But you can't even, you can't even like, talk about it with a... You know, it sucks. No, like, years later, I can't. No, I'm scarred for life by that piece of shit. <laughs> and I love it. I love it and I hate it. And I don't... I've, I don't know. I gotta read it again because I'm working on continuity now. Because okay. I'm finished the... I'm half finished. Like the the book is kind of I'm being worked on in two parts. I I wrote the whole thing, mm-hmm. and then I went back through the first half and cleaned up some stuff, and added some stuff. And then now I'm going on to the second half and adding a hell of a lot of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm going to go through the whole thing for continuity. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to go through the whole thing because I have a bad habit of avoiding contractions when I write. So okay. everyone cannot and will not. Very proper declarative oh, sentences. Disgusting, actually. I was called out really bad on the first one uh, for that. Although it is kind of how one of my characters tends to speak anyway, but mm-hmm. I get stuck in that when I write, and I don't know why. So I have to go back and fucking humanize the, the thing. That's hard for you, uh, relating is. to the normal population. <laughs> it is. In Night Face 1, there was parts where my editor... Uh, we had this big, long marathon phone conversation one day, and most of it was about... You know the way that this person talks or reacts is not human, and the way that this person thinks. And there was one or two instances where I had to argue because I'm like, "This is how I would react. I don't care how other people would react." And he had to like rein me in and be like, "No, this is how people will want to read it, and like people who are reading it are going to want to relate to this." Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, you had to beat me over the head a couple times with things. I think um, that you could get away with it if, as long as the world you're setting up. This is just how people talk and interact with each other. I mean, if 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 it's like, it doesn't have to be a realistic as long as it's believable. Yeah, Bradbury was a lot better at that than I am. That's for sure. Oh, come on. <laughs> but yeah, so Night Face Two is being written linearly entirely. Yeah, that's how I do it in comics. Is it's that? Well, in comics, it's you do you, the the whole outline process is like I know what's going to happen on every page, panel to panel, but. Things like dialogue, either spoken or internal narration, anything like that, that all comes, it starts at page one, ends at page 20 uh, or 22. And um, yeah, I couldn't, I just know some writers that just do it in chunks and then weave it all together. And it always seems like a monumental undertaking to me where I'm just like, how do you keep it all straight? Like, I, yeah. you know, and, and, and like you said, I, when you when you write linear style, I find that sometimes the story wants to be something else when you start getting into it, and and you're like, well, you know, maybe because if you write like your big your 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 big chunk in the middle, the big ending, and you have all that stuff locked in, well, then you have less wiggle room. You know what I mean? Because you're like, yeah. well, if I do this, well, then this won't make sense, and not to rewrite that. Um, yeah. So anyway, so to those people who don't know. Because we haven't taught said it at all. What is Night Face Two part of the Night Face universe now? Everything's a universe now. Yeah, Lydia. I know. I, have, I, so, I really. So, it, what is it even about? Like, and I'm not saying like give me entire plot points. What is the reader getting into? What do, what they're getting into is the aftermath of the first one where we've established that there are only X amount of vampires living in the world. And they're all sort okay. of huddled together um, at this point now afraid of this like 
mutant hybrid half and half day walking warlock type mm-hmm. person um, who is really just a pastiche of very powerful and demonic and alchemical and vampires vampire and very and like superhuman in a way mm-hmm. um, things all in one which is a weakness in a way um, but they're all sort of like cowering from this and then the twist, I suppose, would be that he doesn't really know what he's doing. He has, It's all just a half-baked plan. He's, so it's like me after college. I'm just yeah. like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're cowering in fear from this guy that's just like, I don't really know or care. All I know is that I, I just don't like you guys, you know, <laughs> basically. And they're, they're imagining that this big, powerful evil that they're terrified of has all these machinations. And he's just like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm just, I just do things. <laughs> <laughs> basically, unfortunately, okay. yeah. Okay. Although he's a little more serious about everything than Oh, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot more. I'm making it sound really fucking stupid. But <laughs> whatever. Um, but yeah, you don't get too, too far into it till you realize how really small this world becomes. Because like most vampire society type stories, they start to get really, really vast. And it's like this this global fucking enterprise of vampires mm-hmm. like, working mm-hmm. in the underground. And they all own mm-hmm. all the fucking hot clubs in town and <laughs> around the world or whatever. Yeah. Um, you sort of get a sense that that is going to start happening by the end of Night Phase 1, but then the world shrinks fairly quickly mm-hmm. um, for for really real reasons mm-hmm. in the second one. Okay. And there's the introduction of a, a new, cool, straight-up vampire. A nice, straight-up vampire. Because I realized in the first one, even though it's a vampire story, mm-hmm. there aren't... You don't really deal with many straight-up vampires. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, Solomon's dad is the only one you really deal with. Yeah, okay. Um, in the second one, though, there's a there's a nice new one. Okay, cool. It's been kind of exciting to write him. When, when can we expect... Uh, when can we expect Nightface? Uh, when you see it. When I see it? Which is which is fair enough. I know how it is. Um, I don't know. I'm hoping. I had been hoping to get a copy to my favorite editor in the fall of last year, and that didn't happen. And then winter happened, of course, which mm. didn't help anybody. And then, so I'm hoping I just keep shooting for the fall. I just keep pushing back fall after fall after fall. So cool. Hopefully, <laughs> this next fall. And then at that point, I don't know where it's going to go because I don't know. Uh, I think I'm going to send it to an agent before I send it to a publisher. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think that only makes sense by this point. At this point, yeah. I mean, you definitely have enough of a cachet. You have a, a full novel under your belt and then a bunch of other short stories. You've been published numerous times. I mean, you're not you're not just like some... You're not, you're not me. You're not just like some nobody. So. I think I still treat it like a hobby, though. And that's my biggest problem is to like just admit that I'm a career novelist now with a bunch of short stories yeah a yeah. published author yeah a professional author professional author yeah yeah no matter how badly i want to keep it into the hobby realm of all my other hobbies by the way if uh people listening are interested in reading night face one which is readily available yep on amazon on you can amazon. go to nightface.ca and there's links on the right um and i talk enough about the book when there's book happenings i have um an appearance at the small press ottawa small press book fair coming up on the 13th i don't know if this will air by then um, by the 13th yeah we'll be up yeah so yeah. i'll be i'll be here 
I'll so be if, there. If you'd be in the Ottawa area. Yeah. Yeah, doing the thing. I think this all gets driven home when I was asked to be a guest at the last Pop Expo, which is kind of cool. Right. You were there to do a panel on... Yeah, it was the evolution of horror That's in right. fiction mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Sean Moreland, who, yeah. yeah, he's a real uh, wealth of information as far as classic horror and up to today. And then I can kind of take over as far as... Um, from contemporary horror and mm. looking forward, right? Yeah, he's a nice guy too. Yeah, he is. He is. I mean, it was a really awesome day too. Um, well, weekend. It was a really awesome weekend, and it was cool to be recognized, I guess, for that hobby, that thing I do. Right. It's always funny when when you're creating something, and like you said, you do a lot of it sort of on your own, and 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 you're just sort of staring at a screen, and then you pass it off to somebody and you're just like, oh no, see what happens. And then when people, you know, put down some dollars to read it or or um, go and see it in a the theater or like whatever whatever it is that you're making. And then people are just like, oh, you did that thing, that thing that I like, you made it. And he's like, you read that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I get it more and more, especially yeah. the more I leave my house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny because... You know, it's funny, like just doing the podcast and and uh, running a website and stuff. Like people are just like, oh, you got a podcast? I'll listen to you. Or oh, you wrote on this thing? I'll listen to you. Like you know what I mean? It's just it is a weird sort of thing to get over when when like you don't feel like an authority on anything, mm-hmm. and you don't feel like not more than anybody else. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Uh, like you know, just because, for example, that we have this podcast, I don't know any more about horror necessarily than somebody else that's listening to it it's all just about oh there's definitely people that listen to our show that know more than horror more about horror than i do oh my god for <laughs> sure for sure for sure oh yeah you're selling yourself short you know a lot about horror not as much as some of them that's well, for sure that's for sure I or mean... the conversations i've had with people since doing dead cells because I've, I've discovered that people listen to it it's it's a weird weirdest thing um it's a great show i but like it someone um recently that an acquaintance I bumped into out and about and we got talking for like two hours about anime and they, they watch a lot of fucking anime. They oh, watch yeah. like more anime than you do. And you watch more anime than I do. That's for sure. <laughs> so like it was an, an awesome conversation mm-hmm. and it was like, in, yeah, somebody who's consuming these things knows more about it. Like, Sometimes you could be reading a book or listening to an audiobook, where sometimes you might feel that they might not know quite as much as you and you might get a little like aggravated, but you're reading it because you know a lot about horror and you're, you're like a magnet collecting all these iron filings and whether they know more about it than you do or, or not is moot. You're collecting this information though, right? I know lots about vampires. I've been reading about watching films about interested in vampires like all of my life mm-hmm. i've read a lot of books that don't seem to know much about vampires and mm-hmm. i know I've read books that were probably written in the miskatonic university in the <laughs> 30s because they seem to know actual vampires they've written it so well yeah or they probably are vampires they're, they're vampires yeah. yeah um is that why you decided to write on vampires because you wanted to uh throw your hat in the ring vampires that you liked to see or that you maybe wanted to see like what like why uh, that, that was another thing because i was like vampires as much as as i know about you and your taste in horror which we'll actually get into in this episode yeah um but I'm um stoked <laughs> vampire a vampire story would not be my first guess for the type of book you would want to write well a you did not know me when I was 18 and started writing it. 
Yes. Because the first true. one, yes. I wasn't and alive. And B, I've taken the vampire from the Bela Lugosi style caped and the, or dramatic the, the aristocrat, aristocratic. The aristocratic. Yeah. Uh, is really the dead opposite of all of that. And also made them a far more brutal contemporary urban, yeah. But I have always had a huge interest in the occult and geology and mm-hmm. alchemy and elements and science and stuff. So I try and inject a whole lot of that into mm-hmm. it too. Not to the extent of something like uh, The Strain, which is yes. taking that to a whole other level. Mm-hmm. A whole, like, I'm no doctor, so I can't write like that, right? Um, So, yeah, I wanted to take it to somewhere where it was a little more believable to me, as odd Mm -hmm. as that might sound. Mm. But, yeah. Well, the the thing that I noticed about your characters, um, and this is just me throwing this out here, and we'll move off this subject soon because I know you're not comfortable talking about... Your own work and stuff like that. Oh, I'm that. stoked to talk about Wrong Turn too. <laughs> I know. Uh, you, your characters do all seem to have very distinctive voices. Like, that was the one thing that I thought was really impressive about Nightface. I was like, I don't believe that any one of these characters is is a variation on your own personality. Which is what I'm guilty of is writing characters and sometimes I'll have to catch myself like these guys sound too similar right now. Like they, It's just, it's too much. Well, we had that problem, well not problem, but we noted that with uh, listening to or watching Sweatshop where yeah. all the characters seem to be this facet or this, this facet of one singular personality. Yeah, uh, and, and, and characters that would have different opinions would almost seem to be like characters that were speaking from another perspective that this writer had heard. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just like, and this is what I would say to that. And you have all these other characters sort of ganging up on the person that doesn't get it or doesn't agree with them. Um, whereas your characters, like all of them, are very different. Very different in the way that they speak, in the way that they think, uh, their actions. Uh, no, I really believe that it was a different hand on each one. It was almost as if you had... You know, you know, five or six different writers write a, a character, and then you pl- split, splice it all together. It was really impressive. Well, that dissociative identity disorder definitely helps. There's like, that. Yeah, that <laughs> certainly helps. Oh my god. Yeah, but the, yeah, and so it was really cool. I mean, definitely. Um, why I know that's not true is because I, I know a lot of uh, your uh, personal life philosophies seem to be spread throughout the book, and not in in a, in, in a way that it, like hits you over the head, but it's just like, what I can see is because I know you so well, I see your hand in the in the storytelling. Um, but in terms of how the characters interact with each other and how they speak, it was a really bang-up job. Because they're actually real people. That's like, the other thing. I was like, I believe... Some of my favorite authors do that. They, they, they definitely created, not only this universe, and I really loathe that term because it sounds so Marvel. But <laughs> it does. It's we Marvel live, DC, we, man. We live in a world where there's universes, man, and you have the night face universe. Unfortunately, yes. And I actually had to write down like a chart of like different people's capabilities, not just to keep it straight, but then to like prove to myself that there is this like universe and these are the rules. I had to write down the that's rules. The, that's the, the big thing, in, especially when you're writing comics, that Bible, man. Yeah. Thump it. I can't. I wrote it down once and then I put it away. Really? It's up there. Yeah. I really like loathe the idea of a universe, but it definitely is there. And these characters exist not only in there, but they exist definitely inside my head. And when I'm writing that person, I wouldn't say I become that person because that sounds very lame, but I definitely 
try and get inside of their head and write as if they were writing. So maybe that's why it appears that there's different voices. So mm-hmm. so stark, different voices. I've heard that a lot from other people. And some of my favorite writers write like that. And mm-hmm. I don't get sucked into a book unless it's like that. Well, to me, it seems like we're jumping on with certain characters as they're speaking and interacting as part of the narrative. But I also don't believe that they exist solely to be within this narrative. I believe that when I'm reading your characters... Uh, and I'm seeing what they're doing, I believe that, you know, this is just something that's happening to this guy today. For example, if if he's not searching for this guy, I bet you he's got like a whole other thing, a whole bunch of other stuff in his regular life that he could be doing. It's not, it's sometimes when you see characters that seem two-dimensional to the point where they're just like, I am here to push a bit of narrative forward, but they don't seem organic enough to exist outside of the story. Mm -hmm. You can bump into that. Um, more to me in reading, I find with movies where you're like, well, I was a two dimensional vapid character. I don't bump into it as much on film because maybe because it's in reading, since you control the pace, you can choose what you decide to focus on. And since I, I'll spend longer on a page than I will watching a few minutes of, or a, a minute of film, uh, I tend to notice it more when I'm reading. So I didn't notice it when I was reading your book. Oh, that's awesome. I do want to try like the whole singular point of view thing. So I do head hop. I definitely head hop. And the there, yeah, shift. It, it, you, you I like doing that. I liked it too. I, yeah. It kept me interesting, because, especially if there was characters like, oh, I'm not really necessarily feeling this guy. But I was like, you know, I'll read this chapter and then, ooh, uh, like, I'll be Yeah, kind of, like, you look forward I'll, to that. I'll, next... kind of, I'll skip to the chapter. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Like, I gotta get, I gotta muscle down and get through this one because I want to read about what she's doing right now or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I want to try that, like, singular point of view eventually someday, that whole Holden Caulfield and just stick uh, myself in one head. It's gotta make, be a really cool head. Just though. make yourself her super chunky read, just like one guy. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, sometimes when you're dealing with a singular character uh you're just like this is wow it's chunky yeah you know and 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 you definitely i feel like the 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 approach of like multiple character perspectives and spending time with this character and moving on to that character it's more episodic and i think that's easier to consume for me this is speaking as me like i know people in my life that will pick up a book and give them a day or two and they're done it i'm like it takes me weeks to finish a book like, because I just, I got like ADD. Like I can't, you got me for maximum an hour or an hour and a half. Yeah. And then I got to put it down. Yeah. Yeah. And when you can, you're focused at least on that and you're reading very closely. Yeah. And sometimes I'll put a book down where I'm just like, I've read too much of this. I'm not absorbing it. I want to put the book down and I want to think about it. Yeah. And, and that's what, and I remember, so it's actually, when I remember you gave me Night Face, it took me like two weeks to get through it. And it's not like a, it's not like it's a it's a good sized book, but it's not like it's not fucking War and Peace. It's not like a big chunky, chunky yeah, tome. Yeah, no, it's like a but like it's still book. like I was just like you know I want to read this and absorb it and think about it and then move on and read more. One of my friends has a, a reading disability and it took him about two months to read it, and it was the only book he was reading at the time. Yeah, he read it regularly, yeah. but he has he has uh, reading problems, but he knows this. But he's he's a university student and knows how to cope with it, right? But it took him two months. Took him two months. I, I expected it would take him a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And he got the same amount of pleasure out of reading the book that it took somebody who can burn through. I can burn through a book in like six hours if I my, really into it. My mother is like that. She, yeah. when we were kids, we used to we were walking distance to the local library, and it was maybe like a five five minute walk, ten minute walk, if that. And um, she every week, she would get three four five books books like 
and novels, it, like yeah. novels, and they were just done. My mom reads like that too. My friend Penny, who I had originally watched the first Wrong Turn with, mm-hmm. and was a huge fan of Richard Lehman, which has a lot of the same sort of hillbilly horror elements and a lot of the, uh, you know, mutant, unknown, ugly uh, elements in a lot of his novels, and she. We she lived walking distance from a library as well, and she was on that speed reader or like like I forget the name of it, but some club where mm-hmm. you get all the books first, but you can only have them for two days. So because she lived like right there, she could belong to this, um, and she just burnt through books like a mother. It was insane the amount of books she read and how fast she read them. But that was like my introduction to not only wrong turn and being able to really like steep myself in that hillbilly horror genre as far as books because Richard Lehman just wrote. I don't even know, probably like 60 fucking books. And they're all really similar in that way. But before we stop talking about myself, mm-hmm. we'll talk about me just for one more second. That's cool. Because other people are going to talk about me and it's terrifying. You think what we watch is terrifying. Listening to people talk about me is fucking scary. Really? Uh, Bind Torture Cast. Chris from Bind Torture Cast. I don't know on what show or when or if it's just a threat. Uh, looming threat. Uh, he's read the first chapter of Night Face too, and oh. he read Pray Light Eve as well. So he'll have some words to say, hopefully kind words, more than likely kind words. He's a kind, he's a kind gentleman. Um, about my writing shortly somewhere. So just listen to every single episode of Bind Torture Cast, and you'll bound to hear. Something. Like we don't already. I know, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, by the way, thanks for giving him the first chapter of Night Face too, and not me. <laughs> I'm just gonna make this all about myself. <laughs> hey Wes, do you want to read the new first chapter of Night Face Two? Well, I'd be happy to. Well, send along. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. No, I've been shy about it. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, so, and also um, David Fairhead from Kettle Whistle Radio. And I'm on the next episode, which will have already aired by the time you listen to this, talking on Kettle Whistle Radio about the entity. And me and David both talk about our own books and Horror Writers Association and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to hear more about books and stuff, and go we do. listen to that. And uh, you can all listening, do me a personal favor and uh, read Night Face and uh Check out more stuff that Lydia's written because she's a really great writer. But anyway, I know you you don't see this. She's squirming. She's not comfortable at all. Uh, so we'll talk about Wrong Turn 2. But again, I'm going to direct this back at you. Thanks. <laughs> because um, as people who are familiar with the show know that there's no real rhyme or reason to the movies that we pick. It's usually, hey, lady, what about this? And you're like, all right. And then you, or you'll go, Wes, this. I'm like, all right. So my question to you, and this is a, a movie that, a favorite of yours. Oh, yes. Yeah, a deep, dear, dark, secret favorite. And my question to you is, what, why wrong turn two? <laughs> why wrong turn two? two? Out of all the wrong Well, turns. because I know you have a love uh, for hillbilly horror. I do. So the idea of us mongoloids uh, in the woods uh, cannibalizing people, that's not surprising to me. Mm-hmm. But um, what is sort of interesting is that it's wrong turn two. Now, 
there's six in the franchise, if memory serves me currently. Maybe more? I don't know. Six, yeah. Six. I think it's six. The first one was uh, in 2003. It was like a Liza Dushku vehicle. And then this one didn't come out until 2007. So there's a bit of a wait uh, for a sequel. But why, but like, why two and not one? Yeah, that's my only question. Like, yeah. <laughs> why two and not one? You're like dancing around something else and there's nothing there. Yeah. Um, I liked Wrong Turn. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I haven't watched it as much. I haven't watched it since it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, me and some friends rented it and made a whole bunch of jokes about it. Like, oh, sorry, it took me so long, guys. I take a wrong turn. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. It was ridiculous. Which they have that joke in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Which, of course, they do. They, yeah. they have that for us. Yeah. You know? uh, I certainly enjoyed Wrong Turn. And I thought that it was uh, far more brutal and far more scary and realistic of mm-hmm. the hillbilly horror at the time. And then this came out, and it was sort of like the hillbilly horror answer to the summer camp style slashers and stuff like that, where there's lots of jokes, and there's sex, and there's boobs, and blah, 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 blah. And we needed that, us hillbilly horror fiends, Mm because it is an extremely scary genre. It is a really realistic genre, unfortunately, I think. Yeah. Um, More realistic than, like, uh, organ harvesting and hostel and stuff like that, where people actually get scared and things like touristas and people get really mm-hmm. scared about that sort of thing. Because if they travel, they're like, oh, my God, you know, I worry about this in the mm-hmm. deep, dark moments in the night times. Mm-hmm. Um, you worry about that in the deep, deep, dark moments in the night times when you live in the countryside or frequent the countryside or do things like hunting and fishing and stuff like that and camping. Um, but this was ultra violence Mm -hmm. ultra gory and they had more family like really surreal family values injected into this one too so i just really enjoyed it and it's hilarious to me it's pretty funny so yeah it's got all these little things that i really really like and needed in horror so but then of course wrong turn three yeah. is stupid and then the next one's stupider and the next one's stupider and it's stupider and i own half of them and i love them and i'll always watch them and i don't know why it's an illness as i said before this movie came out in 2007 the premise behind the film is that there is a group of like on the cusp of celebrity type people like just very interesting people like i'm the football guy i'm the skateboarding guy i was a actress i'm a, a soldier and they're sort of getting together to do this post-apocalyptic take on Survivor. So we're getting into, in 2007, this would have been all the rage. Oh yeah, reality uh, shows uh, were... Reality shows were really big. Reality shows are still around, but the more people are spending time with reality shows these days that center around celebrities or or socialites or stuff like that. And families too. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. These um, were like activities. This was contestants, uh, mm-hmm. Survivor. Like Big Brother and The Bachelor and all that other crap that was out earlier. Which, if if you like that stuff, no judgment. Um, So you have this idea for a show where people go out into the woods and they survive in made-up post-apocalyptic scenarios. And it was weird because in in, in the commercial for it, it made it seem a lot more like Survivor. 
And then in the guy's explanation, he's like, this is not Survivor. But then it just sounded like... <laughs> You're like, how is this exactly not Survivor? This is, yeah. He's like, this isn't Survivor. It's, it's like, this isn't a vacation on a tropical island. I'm like, well, no, you're in the woods. But I mean, at the same time, it's fake, contrived television made to look like reality. And you're doing challenges. And so it is Survivor. Yeah. I, I don't know. But... <laughs> I love that commercial at the intro because you get this ultra gory intro and then yeah. you smash cut to this commercial or the intro for this reality show, yeah. which does the job of introducing us to our players for the evening mm-hmm. and making us hate them all instantly because they are annoying and pretentious douchebags. Def- <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely seems like the type of fake Hollywood bullshit that people typically who really like horror movies would hate yeah. venomously. They're like, oh my God, look at that guy. Oh my God, those douchebags. I don't like them. And then, and so you create like these archetypes. And when the movie first started and everyone had their commercials, it sets up like, this is what I'm about and this is my thing. And it's not, they don't even seem like real people. They seem like made up archetypes, but that carries over until the first time that they're all interacting each other with real life. They're still sort of playing these personas. Playing these personas. It's not until you spend a little bit more time with the characters that they start acting. Uh, the bullshit sort of being stripped away, and yeah. they're acting a little bit. As soon as they get sort of split up and they're sort of on their own ish, and they can sort of be themselves a little more. And then later on, of course, when they're getting threatened and they're really. Mm-hmm true personalities have no choice but to shine through over this television personality, especially when the cameras come off. But Mm -hmm. I digress. Uh, Digressing is good. We should go to the very beginning because that was what sold me. (laughs) The very first scene um, was so, so well done. And I thought it was really, really cool. It sets up the family um, as all these like almost hunter gatherer Mm -hmm. mutants living in the woods. Mm Mm-hmm. Just the way that they treat that first girl. Yeah, um, the opening scene is a woman instantly, you don't like her because she's clearly a full of herself actress that can't get any work. Screaming at her agent on her Bluetooth. Screaming at her agent on her Bluetooth and her Mustang. Yeah. And she (laughs) she hits one of these hillbillies super hard. Like that dude goes flying over her car and he's not dead and and it bites her lips off yeah bites her face right off which is done pretty well too and it's a little intense because you're like like three minutes in yeah three minutes in and you've already like being like oh this lady's so full of herself and Mm -hmm. then oh she's got her face bit off (laughs) yeah then you get a very uh spectacular kill with her getting cut uh lengthwise with an axe. Yeah, cleaved right in half. Right in half. Um, it, it was funny because uh, I was saying that I had seen that gif uh, a dozen times or so on Tumblr. Uh, I subscribe to the horror feed and it's usually people that are just like, I like this scene from this movie and they put gifts up and stuff. Yeah. And I kept seeing that all the time and I was like, what is that from? That looks really good. I sound like a weirdo. But I was, but I was just like, I was like, I got to find out what that movie, what, what movie that's from. I got to find out what movie that's from. And I never did. And then I was like, oh, I recognize this. Yeah. Yeah. I can believe it. Because it is one of those, like, um, if you watch, like, those 10 top kills in, in horror, whatever, 100 kills back to back, five minute YouTube videos and stuff, it's always in those. Yeah. Um, 
And they do a really good job with the guts spilling out. And I was very taken by that. And mm-hmm. not only did I come to see a girl cut right in half, I stayed because they grabbed each half of her and just dragged her off into the woods. <laughs> yeah. Just like, like roadkill. Yeah. You know? It was so... At the time, I thought that was that was pretty brutal. It was pretty awesome. And coming from the first one, it was like, oh, thank God they're still out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In that warped way that I would think, thank God these people are still out there killing everybody. Yeah. And then we've had this like really visceral moment, a really gory moment. And then they go into this like commercial for the reality show. So it's all back into real life really, really abruptly. Mm-hmm. And I like that sort of back and forth. And there's a little bit of that through this film where it mm-hmm. goes from super, super brutal and super, super dark and super, super hillbilly yeah. to modern regular people problem. And not only that, they do play a lot with the comedy here. That This this actress is the person that delivers uh, the wrong turn joke. Uh, <laughs> but it is kind of funny. Another funny thing that they did is she is one of the first commercial you see is hers. It talks about how she's a, a survivor and she's the one that's going to make it till the end and all this other jazz. And you know that of this commercial, she's the only one that you already know is dead because you just saw her die. So and she has this tattoo of the infinity symbol, and why? Because she wants to be remembered forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? In a way, she got what she wanted because that gif is on the internet everywhere, and people yeah. are always just like, "Look at this." So there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't know her name, but she's the chick that was cut in half. Beginning wrong turn too. Yeah, it easily is one of the more spectacular kills in the movie not to say that they sort of peak and then it's over they got some good stuff later on but um it's definitely the one that i would take the most away from like like where i would be like oh yeah that's the movie where this woman gets cut lengthwise by an axe i'd be like yeah that's the one that i remember yeah 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 Yeah. and it's nice that it's right up front too yeah it's right up front it really gets you it definitely if you didn't know what you were sitting down to watch you know now yeah yeah it's true (laughs) because it's not gonna let up no. It really doesn't let up. And it gets... There's there's about, what, 20 minutes of story before the kills start ramping up mm-hmm. till, till the very end, um, which is a lot more gory, but not as fun as somebody getting cut in half with a, with a sharp axe. True. Um, and there was a lot of CGI in some of it. Well, not a lot, but there was CGI in, in some of the later stuff. So mm-hmm. this was definitely some good old practical. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um. So when the contestants get together, they realize that they don't have everyone present. Um, the the cameraman, which I guess is the producer of the show, he uses his girlfriend, who they, uh, with the way that it's shot and the dialogue that they give her and how she's sort of Dropping in with this character, dropping in with that character at the start, just sort of like she's the one that's interacting with all of them. Yeah. They try to make you think that that's your final girl. She has a lot of the personality traits. She's the normal person that's not wasn't presented as an asshole. Yeah, beforehand. she's fairly meek. Could be a virgin. Could, Could be. very well be a virgin. You never know. Yeah, you never know. Um, uh, so they so it's it's a it's a bit of a mislead, but I liked it. I like when they do that kind of stuff because I was. I think I remarked when she got it. I was like, genuinely surprised. Yeah. Genuinely surprised. And not because I haven't seen that before, but I wasn't expecting it out of Wrong Turn 2. No I, one... I, I kind of expected Wrong Turn 2 to be 
what it is, which is no judgment. It's just I, it was giving me more than I what I expected. That's that's what I'll say. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a deep film by any means, but it is no. multifaceted. That yeah, way. and um, it is, does have different. You know, if you're interested in the comedy horror, it's got comedy. If you're interested mm-hmm. in a lot of gore, it's got a lot of gore. If yeah. you're interested in just backwoods tomfoolery, <laughs> backwoods tomfoolery. All right. I can't think oh of another God. polite. Well, they're way not to playing it. lawn darts, Lydia. Yeah, they are actually. <laughs> oh. At mm. one point, basically, oh. I mean. <laughs> I don't know. We had more bows and arrows at our house than we had lawn darts, that's for sure. That's true. Yeah. Is that why you like Hillbilly Horror? Because it kind of reminds you of... Home. Home. Yeah. You're like... It's true. It totally country, does. The countryside. And, and we spent a lot of time going even into the deeper country. Mm-hmm. And like I'd, we'd go fishing and stuff sometimes, rarely. More often than not, we'd just drive out to the middle of absolute nowhere and then try and find the next point of nowhere beyond that and drive to the yeah parts where my parents would even be like oh, i don't know if you guys should really you know someone might shoot you just for coming out the driveway and that's a it's that's a real fact that's not them being paranoid or joking around or trying to tell you about boogeyman stories in a way that's a real fact in very far north mm-hmm. um or yeah just very deep forest here uh think like ozarks and stuff in the states um there are places where they're just very territorial and they just don't really welcome outsiders and we would drive into those fucking places because we're stupid but that was a fun weekend to us (laughs) maybe that's why i like camp slashers so much because of all the camping and cottaging i did and i was like a city kid that went to places and so i guess like horror that you go to yeah was was more interesting to me and why and why like hillbilly horror when i was a kid freaked me out because i don't i didn't really like the woods anyways and the idea and that's what you'd be afraid of right is like someone who's right at home in the woods you go even deeper into the woods and you start to encounter according to horror films um true deviants and natural deviants and the deformed and the incest and like rampant incest to the point of brain abnormalities and superhuman strength. And that's what it's led you to believe. So yeah. you go even to the edge of that in a cottage, mm-hmm. and you see, you get a little heebie-jeebies. Oh yeah, my God. definitely. It's like I'm 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 scared. Like my cottage, there's like seduce everywhere, and like people are like laughing and having barbecues and stuff. And I'm just like, we're on the edge of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's um, like, I'm gonna get more firewood. And you're like, no. Don't go. It's too far. You don't know what's out there. You don't know what's out there. <laughs> yeah, that like the outhouses down there. No. It's, it's like our neighbors are out there. We can see them. They're playing. <laughs> their kids are playing Xbox. That's like I love, and this is sort of like the deeper deep woods, right? In this mm-hmm. film, and I like you know you're 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 city dweller and you want an adventure, so you drive uh, to the edge of town and you encounter like Bates Motel, and there's mm-hmm. a psycho there. And then you drive a little further and you get to like Camp Crystal Lake and there's a psycho there and he's way more psycho than the psycho mm-hmm. of psycho. And then you, you know, drive a little further and you encounter like the Firefly family family out of whatever farm they live on and yeah. they're pretty fucking crazy too. And so yeah. you get out of there and you drive a little further because you're stupid and you're not turning back, right? And you drive a little further and you encounter the Sawyers oh, and they're fucking beyond fucking crazy. Yeah. And that's like you get the cannibalism and stuff there and then you stupid as fuck and you drive a little further and you've taken a wrong turn. Oh shit. 
that's what it's like, like to me. And then after, and after you survive, you're in the desert. Shit, hills have eyes. Yeah. <laughs> if you survive. If you survive. Yeah. If you survive. Um, and the reasons become all more important uh, in a global scale as to why these people are like that, because it's not just like the the mill closed down, or the they built a highway, or the mill closed down, or um, there's like chemicals, and then mm-hmm. you get into like they were setting nukes off, and we were fucked. Yeah, there's always, these are the, um, you think doing these things are harmless, but there's people, there. Th- this does do damage, and oh, look, things that have been damaged by this negligence or indifference is now coming to bite you, the modern world, on the ass. Yeah. Um, it is interesting. Uh, the One of the things I dug about this film, which I actually is probably going to make it the most anachronistic, is the fact that the reason for them being in the deep, dark woods is this reality program? I always find that because one of the hangups that I have a lot of the times with people going to the woods, I'm like, why are they there? Like, you what, have like, that hang up even though of time, Tombs of the Blind Dead, and you're like, why would they even go? Yeah. Why, why would you go to these ruins? Why would you go? And I'm like, because people go to, I go ghost town hunting I, every chance I get. Yeah, I guess, but I'm, I think I'm too much of a chicken shit where I'm just like, don't go there. Yeah. Like, like you'll get killed and look what happened. But, um,. I it, it always kind of, you know, campers are going to a camp because it's camp. That's why they're in the woods. But when, when people are just like, oh, you know, just driving around. We're just driving around. I would just drive around. But yeah, they have a real reason. A real reason for you, Wes. A real reason for me. Yeah. But also, I can see in, you know, reality TV, like that type of reality TV is getting less and less common. I mean, Survivor and, and The Amazing Race and all that kind of shit's still around. But like... Is it going to be around in like another twenty years? Like that, I really feel like this is Wrong Turn Two is kind of doomed to be specific enough that it's going to seem kind of out of place. That's fine. No, We're not looking fu- for it to live forever. It's not, you know, a wonderful. That's not Emmy a knock. It was just an observation. Or Emmy award winning. Emmy I award. don't even know what awards or what. I have no <laughs> Emmy idea. is television. It is. It's like day, soap operas and shit, right? Well, that would be the daytime Emmys. Well, whatever. <laughs> Oscar award winning? There you go. Oscar. Yeah. Oscar yeah. pictures? Yeah. Oscar didn't like this one. It's not an award winning film by any means. That uh, no, like that's not what I live on. That's not what I'm saying. No, 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 no. Like, all I'm saying is that even within horror, even within. Uh, sometimes things can be generic enough where. It's, it won't jump. That's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. even even as much as I don't really like random, why are you in the woods? I guess that is more um, invisible to generation to generation than maybe a reality program. Yeah, it's a little more timeless if it were something like a motocross race is the reason that they're out there. Because you know, people could have motocross races 50 years ago or mm-hmm. 50 years from now. So, yeah, yeah. Or, they're, or they're just exploring or they're traveling or they're going someplace to a vacation home and their car breaks down or one of those things. Um, I like that the reality show also explains why they have cameras everywhere because that makes another yeah. fun angle if you like not found footage necessarily, but if no, you like those multiple points of view and different cameras. I, I did take the scenes where the, where the, um, where the mutated hillbillies were um, – sort of experiencing that technology for the first time. That was the other thing. I mean, these guys, um, the killers in this movie are not unintelligent. They're pretty damn clever people, even in in the sense that they are just a little primitive 
because they're not exposed to the modern world. But, I mean, they're very slick. They're very good hunters. They're very um, uh, depth with their weapons. Uh, and uh, they seem to be pretty good cooks, too. So a lot of preparation and stuff. But, I mean, uh, if the technology is any more advanced than the chemical plants, wherever they are. It, oh, cars. It, or, cars, or, or cars are probably the most but they modern seem, technology they, they deal they with. They seem genuinely surprised to see like camera even though like they kind of had like a busted tv in their they had a busted tv and they sort of understood right away how cameras were they're like oh this thing's looking at me and there's a monitor oh right on okay if i move it oh okay i get it you know because they are not Mm. unintelligent at all and Mm. i think it's a lot of the times like the uh jock or not the jock but the surfer boy kind of skateboarder yeah whatever he was x games guy yeah um (laughs) back on the warp tour yeah that guy um he made the pig fucker joke right away and got screamed at in like my favorite Henry Rollins scene. If we haven't mentioned Henry Rollins yeah, in this. Yeah. Love the fuck out of Henry Rollins in this. Yeah, let's talk about Henry Rollins. But first, no. Oh. Um, he is the first one to make fun of hillbillies and make them out to be, you know, stupid mm-hmm. and incestuous and things like that. And he gets put in his place right away. Um, and that's sort of like the whole film is constantly putting the viewer in their place where if they were going to think that, you know, modern technology is going to help you at all, uh, it's going to get crushed underfoot by the hillbillies with wearing footwear that is suitable to the climate. Yeah. Unlike everyone else in the film. Or, you know, if you think you're pretty good with a knife, they're really fucking good with a knife and their knives are 10 times more sharp because they have nothing to do all day, but sharpen the fucking things. Yeah. It's like sharpening the knives today. Yeah. Make sure they're sharp. All day. Yeah. All day. Um, no, but Henry Rollins is in this movie and he, his role, when I saw him, a little bit of prejudice to Henry, Henry Rollins, I was just like, ugh, is he going to be like a big old douche? Yeah. Because I just assumed, I don't know why, like, because he's just, anything I've seen him and he's just a really intense dude. Like Henry Rollins, when I first saw it, because I'm a Henry Rollins fan, mm-hmm. for sure, and I saw him in this and i was like oh god this is gonna make me hate him this is gonna be that thing he does or makes a big fucking fool of himself but he doesn't of course no he does really really well but i'd also seen him back in the early 80s in richard kern videos and american not american hardcore i forget what it's called um but he does a short film with lydia lynch and jg Thirlwell, which is really subversive old underground new york post-punkish kind of weird filmmaking that was going on at the time and he's like the skinny little punk dude he was probably like 19 and he's not the henry rollins you know so i know he's got this like really vast repertoire but everyone really focuses on the henry rollins that we know Mm -hmm. from like 1998 onward but um so they have him he plays the host of this reality program and he's just like super intense. And honestly, in that sense, it was brilliant casting. Because if you were just like, hey man, look at this shitty reality TV show that's on. And like and like Henry Rollins was the host. I'd be like, of course he's the host. Uh, and this character is like an old... Uh, a retired Navy SEAL. Re- retired Navy SEAL. Gets captured. And then immediately gets to work being a fucking soldier of fortune. <laughs> Just kicking ass. He absolutely kicks ass. And if and, it would have been cast anyone else, you probably would have had that lingering, like, oh, what a douche 
feeling. Yeah. But it's Henry Rollins. So you're yeah, like, like, you know it, he's not So a the movie spends a lot of time with him dealing with these hillbillies and he fucking there's a few of them and he um you know he's in danger a lot a lot of the time but like then the whole movie has this really great tension where it's like he's suiting up they have like the he's got the war weapons montage the weapons montage he's got the war paint on it's very like rambo very schwarzenegger and predator well you're like at this at one point you're just like this is Henry Rollins thinking, I'm just going to channel the hero of every action film I've ever seen. I know. And and honestly, this was his moment to shine as this. And and it's and every time they cut back to him and he's sort of stalking and looking around, I was just like, oh, man, he's coming. He's coming. And I and, and I was really <laughs> looking forward to it. Like, I was just like, okay. Oh, if he would have, like, came out of a pool of water with a knife in his teeth oh at any moment, it would have just fit. It would have actually fit. And it was funny. I was really, I was really hoping, and I'm glad they didn't do this. I was really hoping. I was like, he better not fucking, like, jump into frame. I'm here to rescue you guys. And then get, like, an axe in the back. Like, I really hope he doesn't just get fucking... Because, like, because I was like, you know, this movie has some yucks in it, but it's not real. It's not a comedy. It's just there's moments of levity. And I just feel like that it would be almost too slapsticky if they did that. And, I, and not only that, but I liked his character at that point. Because not only is he, like, a badass that's, like, kicking everyone's butt and shit like that. But, like, um, you know, he's, he's, sweet to, he's sweet to people. Like, he defends, uh, he defends uh, uh, one of the women who's kind of getting talked at by the skater guy who's being very sexual and... And, and stuff like that, and he fucking like gets right in his face and puts him in his place in front of her, and then like after he's done screaming at him, he just looks at her, gives a wink, and walks away. Yeah. And then and it's she and you friendly can see, understanding yeah. person that just hates assholes. Yeah, and um and you know one of the one of the women is uh, the guy the producer's girlfriend who doesn't really want to be on the show and she's really nervous. Uh, he takes the he takes a moment to like. You're gonna be all right. It's gonna be okay. Like you're gonna do great. Yeah, you're like, smart. Don't doubt yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I was just like, he's a pretty nice guy. He's an intense guy, but he's a nice dude. Yeah, it's not all drill sergeant. Yeah, and yeah. and then and then once uh and and then once this shit happens and and like the shit really goes down, he's like, well, I'm gonna save these people. And and, and um and he does. It's pretty fucking cool. Uh, so I dug that a lot. Really glad that you hadn't seen this at all. I, 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 really, I, really glad because um, <laughs> it was fun to see, not like your reaction, because there wasn't much more reaction than, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, it, it was nice to not have that prep. You can tell you whose name I do remember. Oh, who would that be? Well, um, in this film, there's a, a very large, attractive ex-football player whose actor's name is Texas Battle. Yes, you Which, really like this name, don't you? That is Texas awesome. Battle is the manliest name I've ever heard. Better than Max Power. Better than Max Power. Yeah. Better than Guy Hardcock. Peter Steele. Dix McBonerdong. Flex Sexington. Texas Battle is the manliest name in the world. He's a good-looking dude too. This guy's got the oh, totally. by the fucking balls. Yeah, I was like, what? has he been in anything else since? I wonder. He was. Uh, he's a, a daytime. Uh, he's a soap guy. They got him from soaps. Wow. That's an interesting name. Texas yeah. Battle. Texas Battle. Yeah, it's definitely not a household name, though. I'd never heard it before. It will be now, once our millions of fans... Oh, yeah, get all up on this guy. <laughs> He'll be in the next Wrong Turn 7. Yeah, he was a sweet dude, too. Um, yeah, he was. You know, one of the things I'll say 
is that there was really only one character by the end of it. Even as annoying as I found him, a kind of like, uh, well, maybe he's not such a bad guy, but he's still kind of a douche. But I, but like, I really kind of liked all of the characters. Yeah, they're even though they're set up to really be hateable, disposable, That's right? The thing. At the beginning, like they're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and you don't like. It's not like they they pull the rug out from under you and make you love them all. No. But they are like really very regular people. They're they're regular people, um, especially the ones that are kind of like. I mean, they definitely. Uh, kill off some characters that you still they, by the time they die you're just like well I don't really care about that person well yeah like the girl who tries to seduce Texas Battles character yeah um, <laughs> which is hilarious how that pans out and it really yeah. shoves reality shows right in their own faces right there yeah um, oh but the people who made the wrong turn too do not like reality yeah <laughs> that's for sure that they are not doing this because well, you know Joe Lynch um, yeah the um director. The director, yeah. He uh he played some one of the guys in Sweatshop. He did? What a weird small world, huh? Huh. Yeah. I don't think he's done any horror really since, has he? Because like I, I wish he would make all kinds of horror. Because this was a pretty smart show. Especially I liked like it. I liked it. The way that they introduced the the sort of gang of teens trope and then there's a twist to that in that they're actually pretty normal people. Um, what they do with their drill sergeant type character, what mm-hmm. they do with the hillbillies themselves and the family dynamics of the of the hillbillies, the deaths, and yeah. But anyway, I've totally gotten off track. The death of the girl that is there to seduce Texas Battle, and that goes awry, so she seduces the producer of this reality show. If seduces is... is I think that's giving you too much credit. Yeah. Um, She's one of the first really disposable deaths, too, because they don't do anything fun with her body after. She's just dead and left there, mm-hmm. basically. Um, she is the least likable of all of them, Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And in the sense, like, I kind of liked her attitude where she was just, like, playing the Hollywood game. And then really uh, after the guy had cheated on his girlfriend and she really kind of twisted the knife just a little bit. As he was walking away, I was like, I like that. I like not only are you unapologetic about what you did, you're you're like needling him. You know, like you're trying to you're trying to just be a big jerk about it. Yeah. Big that. drama queen button pusher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. Man. Well, that didn't last long, did it? Well, no. But this film uh definitely deals with like an interesting dynamic of uh some of the, the mutated hillbillies, the incest, jealousy because of that. Um, and then weird role playing because she's wearing her head later, or the skin of her head. Her hair, yeah. Her hair. Hey, yeah. You want you want to watch this girl get laid? And you're gonna get excited about her naked-ish body. Oh, I'm gonna wear her hair, and yeah. we're gonna go do it, my boyfriend brother type person. Yeah. yeah. Um, I kind of like that. How there's this jealousy problem going on in the uh, white bread world mm-hmm. with the girl, the the girlfriend of the producer, seeing him mm-hmm. getting it on with the the porny type girl mm-hmm. and then right after there's a scene where there's this jealous rage kind of thing between mm-hmm. the hillbillies mm-hmm. all sort of centered around that porny type girl yeah and i think it was to show that you know these people um they may be heavily mutated and have superhuman strength and eat people mm-hmm. but they're really not that different from a normal person they still have emotions and and uh and feelings towards one another as twisted as they might be to normal society um another interesting thing that they did uh wasn't until the towards the end of the film when they had a scene 
that was right out of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, more family scene. More uh, a, a big family dinner scene. Uh, a woman uh, brutally tied to a chair. They had this moment where you realize that the main character, uh, Nina, had said previously in the film that she was a vegan. And uh, you also find out that she had tried to commit suicide about six months ago. I think they said that several times. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now you find her bound by the wrists, bloodied again. But instead, she would now want to survive. That's interesting. The second thing is they feed her, force feed her, human stew. Meat. Uh, so, meat, yeah. Meat. Um, and, you know, you would find, any anyone would find that revolting if you were to try to put food made out of people into my mouth. I would gag and retch and try to fight you. Um, but that's just because it's human. That's it's yeah. human meat. Um, but she's a vegan. She would find any meat revolting. Exactly. So I thought it was interesting that... It's got to be even worse for her. Yeah, you think it's enough that they're, they're force-feeding a vegan human meat. They also have a survivor of suicide that has many, many scars on her wrists that I'm, I'm sure didn't go unnoticed by that point. Mm -hmm. And she's razor-wired to a chair. Mm -hmm. So it's just, yeah. And then and then when eventually escapes having to essentially cut her wrists in order to live. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if these are the types of things that were conscience, but conscience, conscious. Oh, but... completely, completely. Think of all the little tiny things that are in this film that are that like set that. that up, right? Yeah. That's the big moment. No, yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. It's like when when people are watching horror films, you could watch this and and get completely distracted by a lot of things, a lot of the violence, some of the cheesy one-liners, which I I feel this was. This was no accident. This wasn't a result of bad writing. This was written very specifically to sound this way. Um, but if you get distracted by all that, you'll miss some really interesting story elements like that, um, which, which to me makes elevates this film. There's payoffs. There's, there's no wasted dialogue, I feel. I feel like each one of these characters... Um, says something, particularly Nina, when she's saying something, they'll call back to previous conversations. Um, for example, when uh, Jake Washington, which is not a very manly name, was, I think, uh, Texas Battles character. Him and Nina have this conversation about cheating, and, and he very douchily like, eats her vegan bar uh, at the beginning of the movie, but then later on they talk about Oh, he's got a light and he was cheating too, but now they're surviving together with it. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. it is. It it's is. really interesting. Where also... Her response to the whole, like, so I have a freaking energy bar because I'm vegan. Sue me. And yeah. then later when he pulls out that light at the very end. Yeah. And she's like, ah, he's like, sue me. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so there's... I'm sure there's things about, like, X Games Man, who we pay kind of very little attention to. I did. Um, as far as, he, he, he doesn't get as much screen time either. He doesn't, but he also um, gets a couple of lines where once he realizes that the girl that he's been hitting on the entire time is gay, he does back off and he's like, all right, all right, all right. He still... He backs off in his joking, yeah, machismo, like, I, 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 sexist I, I, way. I want to but... lay you. but he And now he's just like, oh, you're going to be like my uptight sister that I, that yeah. I always wanted. And and you can see that like he changes the way that he's interacting with her, but more of like 
it's like his younger brother that's just busting his sister's balls. Like Yeah, that. it really actually works once they make that truce and he's like, You're you're like my older, yeah, uptight lesbian sister. Yeah. Um she actually treats him like that and puts up with him a lot better because you thought like ten minutes before that scene that any minute she was just gonna punch him in the throat. Yeah. Lay him out and walk away. Yeah. I really did too. because um, she kinda shoulda. I thought I, I kind of hoped that her character would have a little bit more to her. She was a military uh person she did like a tour in iraq or something that she had yeah. said and she seemed very capable she made that spear in that very sam Ramy <laughs> evil dead composite scene uh and so and, and she was a very good fighter like she was fighting the hillbillies and stuff like that she just kind of got herself snared up uh in a trap trying to help somebody those characters and, and just in that quiet moments before their end uh, yeah, I, I was just like, oh, yeah, and I was disappointed. Uh, I understand that you need to kill the characters because it's a horror movie and this is what we're doing. But I kind of wish that in that scene they didn't pop both of them off. Like, I kind of... Yeah. Like, but, but, then, but then... I like the way they died for the storyline and, like, to sort of seal them as a, this brother-sister unit that they'd sort of yeah. become. And yeah. maybe there's an arrow in the head joke there that we don't get because we don't spend as much time paying attention to Mr. X games. Um, at all, yeah. but he's in the yeah. middle. Sort of, I wanted like, a little more grandiose treatment, or maybe a little more screen time with her. Yeah, because honestly, like I feel like she was the most underserved, only because of the fact that there wasn't. I'm not to say there's not a lot to her, but she's just I'm the tough military woman, and you get an illusion that she she's gay and she's got some disagreements with her father and owes him a lot of money. Yeah. I just wanted a little bit more than that because I, I was genuinely surprised when that arrow happened. It was an interesting thing with the hillbillies from that perspective, though, where Pa was essentially going to like, well, I'm, time to do it. And it was almost like... Letting... Because they were strung up in a trap. Yeah. And there were a few traps. Not all of them were used. And there was evidence of other traps, which is always fun. But they were strung up and the hillbillies had them at their disposal to shoot with their yeah. bow and arrow. Yeah. And then it was a mirror... Sort of, and I noticed right, like mentioned it right away, it was a lot like that scene from uh, The Loved Ones, where the dad and Lola have the guy in the tree. Yeah, and, they have this moment. Yeah, and, she, and he like passes the gun off to her, so to speak, with like, here, you you throw the rocks and, and knock yeah. them down. You take a shot. And the hillbilly dad does the same sort of thing to the younger hillbilly with this. Oh, it's but... like, he's like, no, you cut the turkey this year, yeah. son. You're, yeah. you're old enough now. And, and the son seems like really genuinely excited and pleased that yeah. he's able to do this. This uh, is, I get to take this rite of passage. I'm so yeah. excited and yeah. so happy. Yeah. It's very interesting, very tribal, very human. And, and again, like these moments of humanity that creep forth from these hillbillies, even though none of them really have any dialogue. It's interesting. It was well done. I really enjoyed that they have no dialogue. And yeah. that sort of brings it beyond the other as well. Because you can go very far into the countryside and the accents get thicker and change. But not to that extent ever in my life if I ever uh, encountered friends, family, or folk that sound anything like these people. Although... I do dislike the use of the word normal. We've used it a couple times because that's why they're such good huntsmen and that's why that they survive in, in climate that none of us could ever survive because what is out there to them and they themselves are normal to them. Yeah. Right? Like you said in that Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's, what's normal to them, right? So, yeah. 
you know, I, I guess I'd use the word white bread or something to describe the quote unquote normals in this film, because mm-hmm. what is going on between them and their family and the way that they cannibalize people to survive, that's all become completely normal to them for generations now mm-hmm. and generations to come. Yeah. For the, all the sequels. Thank yeah. God. For all the sequels. Ugh. Yeah. The, the, the hillbilly family really gets what's coming to them. Holy fuck. Yeah, and I like how Henry Mullen's character has figured out pretty quickly their weakness. Yeah. Their only weakness, because they're so tough. You know, you got to really decimate these Yeah, guys. that was the interesting thing. Um, I didn't quite remember from the first Wrong Turn movie, but in this movie, it's very demonstrated that these guys are mutated because of this chemical. Uh, we get a lot of exposition from the, uh, the old man mm-hmm. who was in the first film... Um, not in the same capacity. Not in the same saying, capacity yeah. at all. So they change. They basically disregard an aspect of the first movie, and then they, which is fine. Yeah. Um, and and they they add a little bit more to him in this. He's got a really great exposition scene. I liked it a lot. I liked his accent. I liked what he was doing with his character. It was really good, really convincing. I I, I love in movies where I believe that. That's not an actor. They literally just got some guy in, yeah, in the backwoods. Yeah, no. in, in some of the outtakes and the special features, you see him talking normally. And I'm really bad for even things that I enjoy. I don't research the way that people research films yeah. and stuff. I don't know the names of I don't know the names of any of the actors at all, actually, except mm-hmm. Henry Rollins. Um, uh, you know Texas Battleman. Well, now I, I do. Will yeah, I would have never. I will not have you forget Texas Battle ever. Come tomorrow, sorry, baby. It's out. <laughs> I'm going to just text you Texas Battle. Every day, because that's what it'll take. I will not retain that information. Um, but yeah, I don't know what I don't know what three finger saw tooth and one eye look like outside of makeup. I just yeah. don't. And I'm sure there's lots of other even casual fans of this franchise or even enemies of this franchise that know what they look like and might maybe even know their names or have seen them in other stuff and recognize it. I don't, even though I am a quote unquote fan. I like a rabid fan and actually love this series. Out of all the movies I don't own, I own, I think, three different um, installations of Wrong Turn. Nothing wrong with that? Yeah. I went on about it so much that when Wrong Turn 4 came out, they sent me a copy to review for free. Oh, really? <laughs> and not because I had like said I was going to review it at all. or I, was, I don't even do film reviews at the time for Ottawa Horror. Yeah. They were just like, you really like this stuff. Here you go, which is really cute that they noticed me going yeah. off on Twitter for oh, days. Uh, they gotta gotta send you something. But seeing the grandpa talking yeah. in the behind the scenes, um, he could be mistaken for a, a guy on any other regular show that's not a horror or about you know hillbillies at all. And then once you see him with his uh, prosthetic teeth in mm-hmm. or his like lack of teeth. Uh, that sort of gives you a little of an illusion of, you know, backwards kind of gentleman. And then you put that accent on him, slump him in his chair, make him look a little tiny bit decrepit. Does he ever pull it off? I know people exactly like that. I have relatives that, you know, mm. he, that could be their best friend. Yeah. They they live just on the edge of the really deep, dark woods. Yeah, I, I really dug what he was doing with the character. It was really nice. Like I said, very convincing. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed his scene, and his person is completely believable. He gives us all that information about the what happened. Most of the people moving out of the area because of the the toxicity of the the area, uh, all the game being killed, and it also mutated this family that refused to leave. They have 
superhuman strength and endurance, they can take damage that would be seemingly lethal to anybody. And I'm not talking about like, oh, he got shot. Because that's not... You can put them down, and they do put these guys down. But I mean... A dislocated neck. Yeah, You like cannot the, dislocate your neck, kids. It's crazy. Two different times. Yeah. They basically just pop their heads back into place. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Beyond mutant. Super strength. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm I'm basically just attributing that to um, to how toxic the area is. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the attention to detail in a lot of the set, in the sets in the film. Like, for the most part, you're filming in the woods, but they do have a really, really great set, I feel, in the... Um, it was like a sawmill or some sort of plant... Some sort yeah. of facility. There's two things that I love about this. One was them discovering a very old, decomposed body of a very young girl who clearly found her way here, hid into a closet, and hid there so long that she died. And then they, the body was just never discovered. So yeah. she was a really good hider. Probably a decade or two afterward and stayed really quiet. Because you'd want to imagine maybe, you know, considering the things that are in this mill, she might have belonged to a family that had somehow, you know, taken a wrong turn, as it were. Taken a wrong turn, Ended yeah. up getting slaughtered by all these cannibalistic hillbillies, and she survived by hiding and staying quiet, or maybe had been unnoticed sleeping in the back of a car while her family was slaughtered and woke up to that and then went and hid. And then and then just never left and just like, well, I'm going to starve her, but you're so scared that you would never leave. And And so I love that. Because I love any set prop or whatever that tells me a story. Yeah. And that told me a story. That told me... I mean, you you get the idea that there's... People are pretty much killing anyone that they can get their hands on because that's their food source. Yeah. Uh, primary food, food source. Well, I don't think it's the only thing that they're eating because... Well, they're eating the deformed fish. The fish and all but that kind of stuff. you can only eat so much fish, right? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm assuming it's like... It's a difference between like, oh, we're having a really nice meal now because we came across this family. So we have all of this meat. But... Uh, and the other thing that I really liked the scene where they're going through all the cars. Um... And, and I loved all the different makes of cars that they had, that some were very old. There was like an old cop car. It's cool. It's like, it's from around like the 50s. It like a Ghostbusters car or something. Like a Ghostbusters yeah. car. Yeah, like a very old cop car. Like um, an 86 Sunbird or something. And there's <laughs> well, like a yeah, very wood old. panel station wagon. But they had vehicles that were from, it looked like as early as the 50s, uh, early 50s, mid 50s, they had cars from the 60s and 70s, they had a couple of things from the 80s and 90s. Like, all have just been there. Like, every family that they've ever caught through the generations. Um, yeah. All piled in this one spot. Also to keep it from, you know, you don't want to have your man sent out there when you're hunting to keep the deer away. So you sort of collect all your stuff and you uh, don't urinate here or there. You bury your, your piss and you poop in a bag or whatever the hell hunters do and yeah i know and like don't leave food and stuff because so the deer can scent it so you're not going to leave like these wrecked up cars and shit and people's suitcases just laying around to scare off the herd right yeah so they've got it all like in the spot and i've, I've always loved this about um sometimes you see it in like some regular like, serial killer type horror but hillbilly horror in particular the collections the collections of shoes you know the room full of clothes the spot where they put all the cars i've always loved that about all these hillbilly horror 
Mm-hmm. You know, that big box of, of eyeglasses and stuff. Who the hell has that kind of stuff? It's yeah. nice when you walk onto a property that you're, if you're ghost town hunting or whatever, you find like an old shed or something and you go in and you see like a box of wigs. It, your mind immediately goes to all this hillbilly horror. Yeah. Like, At least God. mine does. But yeah. It's like, who Why do you have that stuff? box of wigs? Yeah. <laughs> this guy in the middle of the bush. <laughs> Instant terror. Yeah, and you start filling in your own blanks. So I really dug the set in that sense because they it was just like it's a mass. And you can even tell from like the way that the characters were dressed, clothes that they're getting off of people and, and that kind of... Out of suitcases in their trunks or right off their dead bodies when they... Uh, well, you did point out how interestingly the girl that gets cut in half right at the beginning, how did her clothes stay on? How did her shorts stay on, on one half of her body and one half? How did her shirt, her little tiny, tiny shirt? I know. She wasn't, it wasn't like she was dressing a lot of clothes. It was just one of those things where I saw that and I was like, well, that's a very sharp axe. He must be very strong. Why did, his, why did her clothes stay on? <laughs> I mean, I guess like I, I was, the movie had just started and I was just, I don't know. Well, no, you know, like I'm not going to get cut in half by an axe anytime soon. But if you even took scissors and cut the front of my bra, it would definitely go boom. <laughs> it would fly off. It definitely just would. So yeah. if somebody cut me in half with an axe, I don't think the bra would make it. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah. It's science. It is. Yeah. The shirt I could see because like that's like stuck through one sleeve at the very least. Yeah, but it'd be flaps and around and stuff. It'd be open at the back for sure. Fabric and gravity, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. <laughs> Call us. <laughs> I'll watch the movie good. Yeah, that's why I bring you along. I yeah, yeah. I pretty much realized that by episode two. <laughs> <laughs> the other set that I enjoyed as much as the pulp mill and the end game at the pulp mill, because that's a really cool spot. It's all cooler than an abattoir. It makes a pulp mill way more scary than an abattoir. Mm-hmm. Um was the shack. And it's in the beginning when you, they first go into the, the home, or not the home, but it's the grandpa's shack. I guess it's sort of like the grandma suite uh, from a modern dwelling where you have sort of like a guest cottage because that's where grandpa lived. Um, when the two girls end up in there, and that's another element of hillbilly horror that persists through most of them is not only like all of industrialized civilization encroaching on their territory but usually one or two stupid fucking city people going in looking for a phone yeah yeah you know what i have um cottages and there's uh hunt camps that are within my family and friends families if some dumbass came up to them if some dumbass even found the place and got their dumb asses all the way out there and came up to the door and not only came up to the door but walked straight in Mm -hmm. like they don't have to have any modern civility or any etiquette of any way shape or form just walk in and start asking for a phone yeah they would get laughed at so hard one of the girls was saying like i'm just uh, one phone call and i'm out of here like what makes you fucking look at this place yeah. Look at this. There's no wires leading to this place. Yeah, I was like, one. this is a shack in the middle of nowhere. Where's your phone? Where Where do you think the phone is in this completely ramshackled hut in the middle of the fucking woods? Anyway, you're just entering someone's home for starters. Yeah. One of them points that out, although she doesn't leave the house herself. She no, just... she comes right in after her. Yeah. I would have stayed outside. And that was my first thing when, when the blonde character is like, 
I'm not going to just walk into somebody's house. And then she basically does. I would have stayed outside. And I've been in a similar situation before, being out in the middle of nowhere and someone going into um, a, what appeared to be an abandoned house. And I certainly didn't follow them because I've seen too many horror movies. I know how this will pan out. Yeah, not well. Yeah. And it's just not fucking cool. I wouldn't yeah. want anyone walking into my house. But then you could, you know, flip it around and be like, oh, well, it's you know, 2007. People do have hunt camps and stuff. And there's dudes out there with their cell phones and stuff like that. So you could think, you know, if it's a hunter, then he might have a cell phone. And also, like, you're dealing with people who are probably all from, like, California yeah. and, and stuff like that. Who live very modern lives. It's fast walking, fast talking, Bluetooth, all those kind of shit. Like you could maybe perceive in your in your comfort in your own life, you might have a difficult time understanding that people might not have electricity, might not have a phone, might not have power because they're like, it's 2007. Who wouldn't have power? Who wouldn't have a phone, right? It doesn't dawn on them that they're really in the middle of nowhere and... And they forget, you know? Yeah. Like it, as much as, you know, if my phone dies and an hour later I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just going to look that, oh yeah, my phone died. Yeah. You know, you tend to forget. So yeah. maybe in her panic, and of course she was panicked, um, and she just wanted out of there because she's all upset about her boyfriend or whatever. Um, she just forgot that yeah. how deep in the woods they were. Yeah. If she doesn't get a cell phone reception at where the van was, she's not going to get cell phone reception in the shack that's even deeper in the woods. But it just, you know, she's not thinking right, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that, that shack because it tells a bit of a story as well because yeah. I get to see the, the pictures of the family. Mm -hmm. And they sort of have an idea right then of who they would be surrounded by. Mm -hmm. And then they quickly are. They very quickly are. Mm -hmm. um, in a scene... Uh... That pays off for us later. It's funny watching movies sometimes that are parts of large franchises. Now, full disclosure, I've never seen Wrong Turn 2. We've already mentioned that, but I've never seen any of them except for the first one. So it's always interesting for me to watch franchises and you know full well that there are like just so many of them. And, and so you're never surprised by a sequel. You're never hopeful for a sequel because you know there's a sequel. So it's always an interesting, different dynamic. It's like if people start getting into like Friday the Thirteenth, and they're like, "Final chapter, eh?" Yeah, right. <laughs> but you're you're luckily in a universe now, like you're in a position now where you get to see the end of Wrong Turn Two, and you're not like, "Oh, gee, I wonder if there's going to be a sequel." Not really knowing, but you already know that there's yeah. six and probably seven on the way. I have Wrong Turn Four right there, man. Well, I can't watch Wrong Turn Four without watching Wrong Turn Three. It's true, you shouldn't, because if you watch Wrong Turn 4, you'd be like, I am done with this franchise. You no. wouldn't even go forward or any, or backward. You would just be like, no way. Uh, it, it, it would do well to watch 3. It's fun. They, they get more campy and more fun and more ludicrous, and they get less interesting, that's for sure, as the series goes on. But couldn't that be said for a lot of, of really heavy, heavily franchised oh, horror yeah. films? Yeah. Well, this is ludicrous, but not like... Bonkers, to use a, a West word. <laughs> Do I say bonkers? Yeah, I think the last like three episodes you said bonkers. I could like switch it up and say like great googly moogly or something like that. You're a Frank Zappa fan? <laughs> I did not know this about you. Great googly moogly. <laughs> My dad will be so pleased that you pulled that one out of your ass. <laughs> Huge Frank Zappa fan. Oh, cool. Anyway... <laughs> Enough about that hillbilly. <laughs> oh. 
Wrong Turn 2 is, like I said, it's the good one. When mm-hmm. you didn't, like, you know, really protest when I suggested Wrong Turn 2. You already knew that this is, like, one of my favorite franchises. I did, yes. One of my guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. One of my ridiculous loves. Mm-hmm. We um, all have them. Yes. We all, we all do. This is my pet. My pet. Wrong Turn 2. What a beautiful little family of pets I have. Um... <laughs> But you didn't really raise an eyebrow. No. And it's not like I was like, had to defend it right away. But I was like, it's all right, Wes. This is the good one out of them. And it is. It really is. The first one has its elements. But you have to really like dark, gritty, hillbilly horror Mm -hmm. to to really like Wrong Turn, the first one. And you have to really like stupid fucking sequels, I guess, to like the rest of them. I mean, if you're going to watch a bunch of people die in the wintertime, please watch Dead Snow. Don't watch Wrong Turn 4. <laughs> if you're going to watch any of the Wrong Turns, Wrong Turn 2 is really the best bet because it's got facets of all these things. It's really good hillbilly horror. It's really good action. It's got really good gore. It's got a decent story. It's got elements of stock and slash. It's really super fun that way. So it really is the best bet out of all the Wrong Turns. I don't know where the budget would have been spent because I don't know much about filmmaking, but mm. it, they definitely dropped a bit of coin on cameras. Not only yeah. their own cameras and lenses and cool things like the Snorri cam. Mm. I love the Snorri cam. It was good. I love the aspect of all the different cameras for the reality TV show angle up until the point mm-hmm. that they abandoned those cameras. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the, like you said, Sam Raimi inspired and where I'm seeing some Darren Aronofsky inspirations in their filmmaking, yeah. especially with the Snorri Cam. Mm-hmm. And that was apparently, according to some of the featurettes on this, the first on-screen Snorri Cam death, which is was pretty cool because it was also your surprise death of the I red was, herring I, final girl. I was very surprised at that death. Mm-hmm. And they did really, that was a really fun technique. They did a lot of fun techniques with the cameras right from the yeah. beginning. I noticed it right away, yeah. even just on simple shots that are nothing shots. I was like, wow, that was really nice camera work. I was really impressed by the camera work overall. Yeah, I can I can believe that because I was too. Um, the one thing I do need to rewatch it yet again, maybe mm-hmm. for the, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth time, is oh, do they do a follow shot the way that they would follow like a projectile weapon into somebody uh, do they use, use it with an arrow through the two people? I don't remember if they do. They don't. But if that, they're going to do evil dead camera tricks, then that would the, be the, the one to do. The, the other thing that reminded me of like Sam Ramius-ish uh, type camera work was when they were doing the POV shot coming up to the, uh, what would you call that thing? The big truck that they were filming in. Oh, like the huge RV camera. Yeah, the, hu- the huge RV thing. Uh, when they were coming up to that and opening the door, like it just seemed kind of like quick and and up. So I was like, "Huh, it seemed kind of Sam Ramish," but it was so. It didn't it, zoom in like the the spirits from the woods coming up to the door, or the no, cabin. It, but it yeah, was so, it was so subtle that I was just like, "I think that's just me reading into this." But it wasn't until she took that arrowhead and turned it into a, <laughs> a spear where I where I was like, "Wow." Weapons I, montage. Well, I, 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 I was just like, I wanted her to hold the spear up to her face, look at it, and just go groovy. Yeah. It would have fit, too. <laughs> it would have totally fit. <laughs> but they do that in other horror, too. Like, you look at, like, Phantasm 2. Yeah. Um, they do a really good weapons montage in there. It's a little more of a rock and roll weapons montage. It's almost like the training montage from mm-hmm. Karate Kid or something. Um, 
So that's like a, a really common thing, but it is very Sam Raimi in that mm-hmm. one with the spear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is also um, somebody having their comeuppance over somebody who sort of like ribbed them a little bit about being self-sufficient. Like it's certainly not as serious as like deliverance because you can no. call that almost hillbilly horror as well. I don't consider it a horror film. No, but, but it's very disturbing. It deals with um, it deals with like killing and rape in the woods and. You know what's gonna happen when you get too far from home? Yeah. You think people who live in like the deep south and stuff watch these movies and be like? Come on, guys. Get mildly offended? Maybe, yeah, like, yeah. Get mild- I get mildly offended, you know, and I don't, yeah. I don't live in the deep south, and I don't live in the woods. You had you had like a rural upbringing. I did have a rural upbringing. There was a point my dad had a whole bunch of huge rusted saw blades, like you would see in like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something, or like big saw blades you'd see at the beginning of Twin Peaks and stuff like that. Right. And he had them mounted on the, one of the back sheds at my parents' house. So it was like this nice whitewashed shed in the backyard that had all these rusted saw blades on it. And it was up for years. Like he just had, he had like a big crosscut saw and a bunch of big round circular and a huge, huge one from a sawmill that was like, God, it was like the size of my table. It was like massive. Wow. Yeah. It's probably like four, four and a half feet across. And it was huge. And all these other little small ones. Until basically, I guess she just came home one day after this being up for like a decade and just being like, why do we have a bunch of saws? John, take those down. That looks macabre. (laughs) That's creepy. And he's like, what? They've been up there forever. And she's like, I just never really thought of how messed up that looks. And he's like, okay, honey. And he took them down. Simple as that. (laughs) So I, I, I could see somebody looking at this and getting a little bit offended. But I can also see somebody looking at this and being like, that's not what it's like at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're out here and we don't cannibalize people. We have cell phones, you know, yeah. stuff like that. But then if there's like some Mennonites and stuff like that that live out in the woods or the people who there's a series of books called the Foxfire books. And they, it was intended to only be like a student project where they had to go out into the, the foothills and talk to these mountain folk about some of their techniques for getting by. And at grew into a series of books beyond the first two books into like something like 15 foxfire books and it's about making beeswax candles from uh, bees that you're keeping in a more natural environment than beekeepers do traditionally that we know of Um, how to tan deer how to make huts how to weave baskets how to grow beans in the bush and like i don't know all kinds of stuff um they would walk if they were ever avail to the you know technology to watch a film like this would be like that's just not what it's like at all yeah i just always feel like i feel like i would get offended that's why i don't know i sort of get offended like when they walk into the person's house but that's just an etiquette thing and they're also not wearing socks it grosses me the fuck out <laughs> so so in in your mind a movie where we saw someone get chopped in half by an axe saw somebody disemboweled. You saw somebody decapitated, quartered, and cooked for food. We, you saw women break into a fucking house and have to escape it going through the outhouse toilet. They didn't get near enough dirty, but yeah. And don't forget the giant vats of fucking sluice grate offal that is pouring out of that wood chipper that they're feeding people through. So after all of that, 
Oh, they're not wearing socks. Gross. Fucking gross. <laughs> That's disgusting. Go put some socks on. Wash your dirty potato feet. And on that note, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs> <laughs>